we assess the current state of the six largest U.S. airlines on today's Milenomics Squared podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Sam Simon. And I'm Robert Dwyer. And this is the Milenomics Square podcast, no annual fee edition. If you're not subscribed to the full Milenomics Squared podcast, you're missing out on a deeper dive into topics like the following. We've got an important and interesting show today, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you about it, Sam. And it's something I think for everybody, whether you're deep into this game or just getting into it, or frankly, if you're a family member or a friend of mine, and I talk to you about this stuff and consult with you on <laughs> how to book your airfare. Th- this has come up so many times lately, and it's really... Uh, all these airlines are different. Uh, there's bank points, there's credit cards. You may have a lot of different ways of booking things, but these airlines each have such distinct personalities. And that's what I think we want to talk about today. If we're being critical of our shows, I think, Robert, sometimes we fall into the trap that other people fall into where we say, all you need to do is this, and then you can fly with this airline. Or we, we look at these things as singularities, as having one aspect but you'll, he, I'm sure we'll cover today that these are multifaceted airlines and they're all independent of each other. And it's not enough to say all you need to do is this without some of the background. And so I like that we're going to give that background for each of these airlines here today on the show. Uh, and, and then you and I can point our friends and family to this episode instead of giving this 45-minute talk at every party from here to the end of the earth, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We've mentioned before that we're big fans of Morgan Housel, the author of The Psychology of Money. And he started a podcast recently, and he was talking about everyone playing a different game and how it's important to play your own game and not be biased by what other people are playing as a game, to set your own goals and uh, realize that your constraints are unique to you. So what might be right for somebody else is not right for you. Everyone has a different hometown. Everyone has different common destinations that they travel to. And everyone has a different amount of enthusiasm for playing this points and miles game that Mm -hmm. we play to defray airline costs. So if you don't travel very frequently or just you want cash back, you know, getting a bunch of AA miles is probably a really ridiculous thing to do. I agree. If you fly, if if, if you live near Newark or you live near a Southwest hub, everything's going to be different for you on, on what the right thing is to do to get the best airfare costs. You can to reduce that cost as much as possible because there are opportunities, I think, that are unique to be able to reduce the cost of airfare, unlike a lot of other things. If I want to buy a new bike, if I want to buy a new laptop, there's different ways to go about doing those things depending on what that thing is. But airfare has this quirky thing with, uh, we'll see here, uh, they're, they're tied in with banks differently. They're tied in with other carriers. Alliances, it's just weird, yeah. right? Like, what in the world is like this? What, how did we come to this place? I don't know, but we're going to talk about it today. You definitely need to do a little bit of your own internal searching. What are you looking for, like you said, in travel? And so what are your constraints? Because up front, I'll, I'll just say what my constraints are. I live on the West Coast in a major city, Los Angeles, that has all six of these airlines serving the city in one way or another. That said, I am extremely picky on flight times. So that's one of my constraints. Some people don't care, Robert. I don't know. Do you care what time of day you get on an airplane? Uh, I was going to say the same thing, essentially, that direct flights at perfect times really is paramount. That is more important to me than just about anything else. Uh, That said, I probably will prefer to not fly Spirit or Frontier or something like that. You'll see, those airlines didn't make the cut here. Uh, We did select the top six biggest airlines based on the number of passengers carried. So there could be an airline out there that is critically important to you because they serve some very unique route. 
but we're not going to talk about them today, trying to address the largest possible audience. But we're going to analyze them on a few different perspectives here, right? We're, we're going to talk about the overall state of the airline in terms of flying on their metal, perhaps with their miles, uh, the state of their frequent flyer program, their co-branded credit cards, their bank point relationship, and how difficult it is to earn those miles and their overall position in the market. So you ready to get into it with number one, American Airlines? I'm ready, Robert. These are by size one to six, right? That's right. American is the biggest carrier in the country, I guess, probably because of that U.S. Airways acquisition back in the day and maybe some other acquisitions over time. But American, biggest airline in the country. Is that surprising? Is is the rank order of these airlines even surprising to you? I really thought Contour Air would make the cut, Robert, at some point. If you, if you, that's a deep cut right there for our paid subscribers. But uh, no, it doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't. You know, American Airlines is huge, runs a large domestic network, but also runs a big network internationally as well, which is not the same uh, situation for many of these airlines on the, the show today here. So, you know, I've flown AA down to South America. It's a huge airline. And I would say most people have an AA flight within a few hours of them. So I'm, I'm I think it's important that we discuss it. And, You've got it here in the show notes as the last remaining legacy carrier with Saver Award level availability for expensive cash fares. You've seen this and I've seen this. Have you been able to take advantage of that? Or do you want to at least talk about what that is first? And have you been able to take advantage of that? Yeah, they keep threatening that they're going to go fully dynamic. Uh, and, and the big trend that we see here across all the legacy carriers, especially, which I think some of the newer airlines, uh, non-legacy, which basically just means they're, they haven't been around forever. Uh, you know, there used to be this magic of miles situation where, you know, your friend says, hey, there's uh, this really expensive flight. I don't know if I can get up there this weekend. And you say, oh, I'm really clever. Let me look and see if I can use my airline miles and get you up here. You're like, oh, yeah, uh, 12,500 AA miles for a flight that's $400, $1,000. Uh, you know, m- miles are incredible. And that's why I collect miles over cash back or bank points. And AA kind of threatened to, to do away with that, but I'm still seeing it. I mean, they made changes just as recently as last week, and I can still see flights for the very next day that are cheap with miles, but are more expensive with with cash. So I, I think they still are holding on to that tendency, and that that situation still makes it relatively compelling. And I don't, I'm not seeing it frequently with Delta or with United in particular. Are you still seeing uh, some some of those magic close-in gems that you see with American? I am, but I do want to caution listeners to think that like it's not a magic silver bullet, and it's not something that you can rely on. It seems route dependent. It seems date dependent, capacity restriction dependent. They want to get a lot of money for these close-in flights, and sometimes they also want a lot of miles for those flights, and sometimes they don't. And so I think you need some flexibility if you're uh, up against one of those situations. Maybe you can wiggle a day here or there and significantly save. But I don't think that it's just like magic. Let's earn miles because it's going to save us money on every single flight with American Airlines. Yeah, now it's increasingly become uh, the rare case that you can do that. And I think we've seen, uh, you know, one of the tricks back in the day was to use a foreign carrier's currency for travel on a domestic carrier's metal. Uh, a common one being British Airways Avios to fly on AA, especially close in. The ability to do that, though, is contingent on AA releasing that partner award space. And I haven't seen them doing that as much lately. Uh, you know, I, I've seen cases where close in, there were uh, it required a very small amount of American Airlines miles, but they still weren't opening it up to partners. So it feels like the whole alliance situation, AA being part of one world, is not as strong as it was, at least in terms of American carriers opening up space to partners. 
Are you mm. seeing that as well? I'm just uh, you know, this, our our carriers seem like the most stingy in the world. It's, it's usually <laughs> the other case where, I, I, and I don't know why other carriers don't call them out on it. Like, hey, you're part of this alliance, and you never open up any award availability to our members. What's going on with that? It's a great call out. I do see it, and so two things happen. Number one. I am very hesitant to, to hold or hoard a foreign carrier miles. You know, so much of the Milenomics blog when it first came out was all about British Airways because it was such a great opportunity. And I would have held on to two, three, four hundred thousand British Airways miles. I'm at zero right now. And, you know, part of that is we'll talk later in the show, the ability to transfer things in. And I'm much less bullish on the likelihood of a flight being open. Uh, that's not a good value in another way to book with, let's say, flexible bank points. Because I've seen it. I've seen that, you know, $189 one way, that's 13,500 avios. That's not a fantastic value. It becomes okay. And maybe there's some benefits on cancellation, but then you've stranded these miles into a, a program that is dependent on partner space. And the second point I wanted to make there, Robert, is it used to be so easy to tell when partner space would be available. You could go right to American Airlines, you could go to Alaska Airlines, and you'd see Saver Award availability. That has become harder. Because what's available is not tracking with the lowest level prices on the mainline carrier. So you see a very low priced flight with American Airlines miles, and those are hard to earn miles. We'll talk about that in a minute here. Maybe I want to conserve those and transfer over some miles to British Airways from membership rewards or ultimate rewards. But I have to do a secondary search now and verify that that space is there because it's not enough to see the lowest priced flight. And that's not just American. That's all of these mainline carriers. The lowest price flights do not track necessarily to saver level partner availability. And that's frustrating. I'll tell you what else is frustrating. Uh, trying to in- describe to a family member how to do that maneuver. Oh, right? okay. yes. Let's log into your Amex account. Let's create a British Airways account for you. And I go, wow. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's do that. Uh, you, you get that created. You go to transfer them over there. It's asking for the, the, the digits off of your American Express account. By the time you get over there, and maybe if you're lucky, you can actually book the ticket, then you have to have a different record locator. You want to put your trusted traveler number in there, your global entry number. That doesn't convey through when you go to go through TSA pre-check. People can get very frustrated about that. And if you're doing it to save 10 or $20 on a, the number of miles that requires to do that, that has been a wild goose chase that somebody didn't want to get into in the first place. So you can't underestimate the complexity of those maneuvers. And unless there's a lot of upside, I think they're to be avoided. I, I'm with you there. Yeah, the upside has to be huge or the miles have to be stranded due to like a cancellation. There has to be some external reason to do it because it is it is a lot of work for someone that's not familiar with this system. And it's one of those, it's the first one of those points where I want to say, like, if we say, it's so easy, I booked it with Avios. Like, it's, there's a big amount of work that went into getting comfortable with being able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, so back to AA, though. Um, good, I, I think a good program to generate miles in. There is a, a unique value in AA miles. It might be uh, for partner awards. I think they still mm-hmm. have a very good chart with partners. Until they, until they go after that and decimate it, <laughs> I think there still is a lot of unique value, a lot of good partners, like you mentioned, South America, getting over to Asia. But domestically, it's, it's, it's getting pretty fragile. And I would say, you know, overall, if they push it any harder on not having much value domestically, it really becomes a program where you're hanging your hat on those partner awards. And if those aren't being released, then it's not that special. But still, I think they're, they're pretty good at this point. But no bank point transfer partners, right? That's, that's unique. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll talk later about the bank point transfer situations we have. Uh, Citibank is the most tied in with them. 
there was a narrow window where you could transfer oh, thank you glorious. points one to one. That I don't know so why, nice. I don't know why that doesn't persist or why they don't bring that back. But for now, it's just a very unique currency to generate, despite them being bank partners with both Citibank and Barclays. So it's kind of weird that neither of those carriers or not, neither of those banks have a transfer relationship with AA, even though they're, yeah. they're quite promiscuous. More, I can think of, there's not another airline on here that has a dual relationship with banks. So just a very unique one in how AA ties up with banks. Does Built transfer to AA? Oh, I think it might. I think it might. Three. Yeah, Built has that relationship with American Airlines and American Airlines has a, a, a relationship with Hyatt as well. I mean, it gets very confusing. If we drew a map of this, it would look like Charlie on uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia at some point, right? You know, they're just the strings are going everywhere and everyone's in bed with everyone else. Uh, but there is that transfer uh, ability from built. We'll call it out when it's there. That's nice. And yeah. I think it's a double-edged sword, Robert. You know, the idea that they have these partners that are really strong and they represent a value proposition of their miles and the fact that it's difficult to earn these miles or I guess more difficult to earn these miles due to transfer restrictions, uh, I think that makes it less likely that I'm going to want to use my miles for domestic travel. And that's a trap that I've fallen into in the past with many carriers. You know, you say, I got to hold on to these for the highest value. I'm looking at Alaska right now, down here in the show notes. You know, you say, I don't want to use these. I want to use these for the, the most outsized value. But actually, the move is to use everything and continually replenish what you have. And I think AA is a situation where it might even make sense to buy miles. There are flights where you'll save money doing that. Now, there are restrictions throughout the year. on the There's a cap on what you can do there. But they are a good currency to have on hand. But the truth is you got to use them to get any value out of them. And I think that it's important to remember if the domestic flight is at a good time and it's a great value on those miles, you can always get more somehow. But I think that they're trending up for me domestically because I need to get on more flights and they do fly where I want to go. Yeah, that's a great summary and a great call out there on the ability to uh, top off and buy when when you need to and not save them all for this mega redemption. And yeah, like I said, we'll talk about Alaska later. You could be waiting for a partner award that isn't there because of space or because of a, a, a change to AA's award chart. You could be waiting for something that never comes. So great call out there and always keep those balances low. Yeah. Should we move on or you think we've covered American enough? Yeah. Ready to talk Delta. Okay. If I take this one, they're a little bit heavier uh, in Boston than they are in Los Angeles where you are. And I do fly them quite a bit and I've got a little bit of status with them. So I, I like them as a carrier. And I think that's generally the way people think about them in terms of an airline that you actually fly on domestically. And I would say to an extent, that's our focus here in this show. We're talking about flying them domestically with an eye towards partner awards for international travel or flying on their own metal internationally. But they tend to, Delta, tends to be a, a leader, I think, in the frequent flyer space. And what they do, others tend to follow, uh, for better or worse. They do something nasty. Sure. Um, other airlines seem to think all of a sudden it's okay to do something nasty as well. Yeah. They do something good. Uh, but uniquely to them, I think, they really led the charge to making Sky Miles, for better or for worse, worth roughly a penny a piece, maybe a little bit more, but they really were led the charge to providing everyday value for their miles and diminishing, though, the ability to get outsized value. Uh, their partner award chart for international travel is is, is pretty rough on their metal, their their their, their sky team lines are probably vertical. weak of the bunch. Yeah, just crazy, right? So yeah. used to be a lot of value there. There's not anymore. But when you go to use them domestically, 
I do see a pretty good amount of value. I think that the points are worth something like 1.1 cents a piece. If you have a, one of their co-branded credit cards now, you get 15% off redemptions. So that starts to put up the value closer to 1.3, 1.4 cents a piece or something like that every day. Not not too shabby, especially when you look at some uh, United or American award and you're getting less than a cent a piece or maybe just yeah. slightly over a cent a piece. So it starts to push up towards that 1.5 number. And maybe that's a good time to talk about that 1.5 number. That's just a mental number I have in my head on how much a bank point is worth towards airfare. And it comes from two things. It comes from the Chase Sapphire Reserve. If you book through their portal, you get 1.5 cents a piece of value. And on the Amex Business Platinum, you get a 35% rebate for booking premium cabins or on your airline of choice. And that nets out to about 1.5 cents a piece of value too. So that's a benchmark that I have in my head that if I'm going to yeah. you know, store up or use airline miles, I want to get more value than 1.5 cents a piece. And when I don't, I want to get something else for it. And that might be cancelability, uh, you know, very favorable terms, redepositing those and stuff like that. But I think that's what Delta, that's what's become for me. It's just a very convenient carrier, mostly on time. People have a good attitude. They seem to run a good airline. And I, and I just use it for domestic travel a lot, and I get a decent amount of value out of their points, and they're they're pretty easy to generate, uh, frankly, right? Because yeah. they're one-to-one transfer partner with Amex, and, you know, it's just easy to navigate your way around the country using that ecosystem, but not a lot of outsized value. What's your experience with Delta there on the West Coast? Similar. Yeah, not a lot of outsized value, but I, I, I know we're not talking about operations, but I do like the way they run their airline. Just there's something about the way that they have gotten their employees invested in you as a customer. I, I do think there's value there. Have you seen the same thing? Oh, absolutely. I remember coming out of the pandemic, they just had the right attitude about we're all in this together. We're trying to get things back to normal as soon as possible. Bear with us. We're doing our best. And that wasn't what we had across the board from other carriers. I think they were industry leading in that regard. Yeah. So here in LA, they do have a, a large presence. I mean, they took over a terminal. Uh, they put out a brand new Sky Club there. I visited it oh, four months ago on a trip and it was nice. I liked it. And enough that I'm looking to fly them more. My issue is flight times are not ideal with me to some of the locations that I like to go to. I see the same cap on value, especially on economy tickets. But sometimes you just catch this like blip and you get a little bit extra. You can get it over 1.5, 1.6 maybe. But I want to stop us and say like booking through Chase Ultimate Rewards or through Amex Travel is not as smooth as booking directly with the carrier. When things go wrong, it's a headache, a big headache uh, to have a second layer of a, a travel agency basically and a travel agency that's big. And so I want to make sure that you know I call out Delta for this cancelability I have canceled so many of their flights and the miles come back. Maybe you have to push them a little to get the miles to come back, but the miles do come back as long as you don't book uh, you know, their basic economy ticket. You can speculatively book flights. And you know, as long as you have a pool of miles that cover those flights, you don't take the flight, you get the miles back, you book something else. So I like that angle. I can't put a value on that. And some people might not need that at all. You know, if you're that person that plans a trip three to four weeks out and just takes it, hey, bank points are fine. You know you're going to take the trip. The hassle that I'm talking about doesn't exist to you. I'm booking 10 months out, 11 months out. And I'm less likely to take the trip than most people, I think. And Delta's flexibility combined with relatively good value, I would say, 
for for easy to earn points. You know, they've got what five credit cards between business and personal with American Express, maybe six. Am I counting them all? And <laughs> it that, is hard to count because there's yeah. business, personal versions yeah. of things and, and not, but there are tons of them. And the turnability of those can't be uh, underestimated. Right. You never know what you're going to be targeted for that card, even after just having gotten it recently. It's crazy. It is. It really is. It's, and, and that's not taking into consideration that their transfer partnership with membership rewards means that technically any membership reward earning card could also be looked at as a Delta earning card. And so getting the miles is maybe the easiest of all of these carriers that we're going to talk about today. And, you know, look, it's an economy. So if it's extremely easy to get those miles, if it gets easier to get those miles, something has to give. You can't inject millions and billions and trillions of miles into a system and and not change something on the redemption side. And so they were industry leading and people were upset. You know, they, they were the first of these major carriers to unpublish an award chart and say that, you know, that, look, we want everybody to get value out of their miles. And that seemed insane at the time, but now that's where everybody's moving. And look, that's that's where I'm moving. I want to use these miles because there isn't a outsized value. It's the exact opposite problem of the American Airlines irony. Mm -hmm. You know, I can get a value on these miles that's relatively fixed. So if the flight makes sense and it's a decent price, I'm going to take the flight because I also know I'm going to enjoy my time with them and potentially be able to get into a Sky Club with an American Express business platinum or personal platinum. And I think there's value there too. You know, I have two little kids. My wife and I are now locked out of the Centurion lounges and Delta lounges represent our best opportunity. You know, if we fortunately have four uh, business platinum or personal platinum cards, that's enough for all of us to get in. And I like that. I like having a little bit of extra time uh, and some relaxation at a club for a little while before you get on a flight, even if it's in economy. I think it is unique uh, that everybody with a premium bank card, the MX platinum cards, gets access to the Sky Clubs. And that's why people complain that they're crowded. You know, they are yeah, crowded. All, they all, are. Airline, yeah. <laughs> all airline lounges are crowded. But just you think about how tied in Amex is with Delta. I mean, it would rock my world if the, those banks split up, that bank split up from that airline. Because, you know, when I get it, I go on a Delta flight, I, I, I get my Uber provided by Amex, you know, reimbursements on the, on the platinum <laughs> card. I go to the Sky Club. I have Delta status because of getting and spending on American Express cards. I fly on Delta through bank points from MX or points from that. And so I have all this situation with Delta that has really nothing to do with flying them frequently. It's based on a relationship with MX and their co-branded cards with Delta. Just really bonkers here. I mean, the two are tied at the hip. They may as well merge at this point. Uh, let's net out Delta before we move on from it. Uh, to me, you know, the the weak Sky Team Alliance. We've got to mention that. that if, if you're an international yeah. partners, I mean, what is what that even like, an alliance? Uh, right. I mean, Virgin yeah. Virgin Atlantic isn't the alliance, but the partners with Delta, and they're kind of owned by Delta. Uh, used to be you want to fly on Alitalia, but that airline doesn't exist anymore. Uh, what Korean, like, how are you going to get anywhere internationally with Delta? You're more likely to, I guess, fly in their metal. And that's super expensive. So I, you have to call out how weak that is. But it's a straightforward value proposition for flying domestically. And that's what Delta is to me right now. What do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I've met people who have flown Delta internationally and don't care about the price in miles because they think it's free. And look, mm -hmm. that's one of those Morgan Household things that drives me crazy when it's like, yeah, it was like 650,000 sky miles per person, but hey, I mean, you know, it was free. Like yeah. I, I, my head explodes, but look, that's not Milenomics, right? I mean, that's, that's you're going to spend 650,000 sky miles. I think you should have earned those miles somewhere else and then booked in a different way. Even just paying for premium cabin makes more sense at that point. 
but I do think you have a great call out there of just the the basic overview of Delta right there. And the Alliance is a, a real weak point for me. Yeah. I have a puzzler for you. I don't know if you want to do it right now or not. All right, bring it on. Would you fly Delta with a connection over AA direct? No, no, absolutely not. No way. Okay. Would you fly Delta with a connection over Southwest direct? Ooh, ooh, that's, mm. yeah, I think that is the line. I would still fly Delta <laughs> with a connection. I'm not much of a Southwest fan, but I, Southwest is up next. Surprisingly, yeah. maybe in terms of size, not a big carrier in my town, but you know, everyone's situation is different. You might live in Baltimore. You might live near Midway in Chicago, and you need to pay attention to Southwest. But you're in a little bit of a unique position there in, in L.A., but close to Long Beach Airport. So is that what plays into you being more familiar with Southwest than you think? I think so, Robert. Really interesting where I live, I, I would say. I mean, uh, Southwest started in Texas. That's their their headquarters. And so they've expanded out and become look, the number three airline in the country by passenger count. And I would say I have a love-hate relationship with them. Um, I love that they fly out of these small airports and that, that you know, that's that's been their thing for a long time. But I, I have taken flights from LAX on Southwest. And I do think that that puzzler is a, a good one because I think that one of the things that you need to know about Southwest is that they don't run a traditional network. And so I think that what stresses Southwest travel to a point where it becomes painful are connections, connections that really shouldn't exist even um, because they're just too thin. The route is served like once a day. And especially out of a small airport like Long Beach, if you miss your outbound or if your flight doesn't connect, you can get stuck somewhere. And so there were times where I did not get on a plane because I knew I was going to miss the connection with Southwest. And so it was like, I, it's, it's better for me to protect myself here in Long Beach than get on this flight and wind up stuck in Arizona overnight. And, you know, they don't have that awareness or they don't have that redundancy that some of these airlines do. If you can do point to point travel with Southwest, I think they are a good airline for a few reasons. Uh, this year, I think we've seen an upgrade. And that upgrade is that their travel funds do not expire. I like and that. So, yeah, that that really is a changing point for me. You know, through no fault of our own, we end up with large travel balances that we need to spend each year. And a year goes by quick in this game. You know, for a long time, I was a, a fan of their points because their points did not expire. And now that there's parity between their points and their travel funds, I think that they're a better airline. I think you can park funds there or take a like a flyer on a flight that you might not take, cancel, know that you're going to rebook and use those funds and not lose them. It always feels like a gotcha to me when an airline says, oh, you can cancel any time and the funds stay with us. And by the way, they expire after a certain time. And I know we'll talk yeah. about an airline that is the worst at that later, but I have to give credit to Southwest that they upgraded that policy. You know, they said that that wasn't customer focused and I really appreciate that. Uh, but the payoff can be good, I think, because- they fly flights that no one else flies, and they fly short flights. You know, I, I want to go up to Northern California. I want to go to certain places a couple hours or less away. Get in an, in an Uber. 15 minutes later, I'm at the airport in Long Beach. 25 minutes later, I'm on the flight, and I'm in Denver in two and a half hours. I think that that is not to be undersold, uh, that many listeners probably have a similar situation, a smaller airport near them that Southwest serves. It is impressive sometimes when... 
you jump on a Southwest airplane, despite the lack of seating assignment, Ugh. they board the plane very efficiently. And then you get to your destination and you've survived it. And it's just like, you know, you ever get on like a United flight or a Delta flight with like eight boarding classes and there's only 25 <laughs> people on the flight. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's nobody in groups one through three and we're all waiting for the grand uh, occurrence. Like if you fly in with a small regional jet, you're like, what is this pomp and circumstance <laughs> that we have getting on an yeah. airplane? Yeah. <laughs> so to, to be commended for that, but uh, getting back to their uh, banking relationships, they're tied in with Chase ultimate rewards a one-to-one yes, transfer partner tight. there so yeah. you can yeah you can get uh, 5x on on chase inc cards and you can redeem them on on on, on southwest fantastic um but there there chase has this you know 524 situation so a lot of us don't even look at new chase cards as being a realistic possibility so you need to really make a commitment you're all in you know southwest is almost like disney to me you know, mm. you were just talking about all these booking instruments, right? It's so tricky, right? You almost like don't even want to get into the ecosystem unless you're all in and really figure it out. And the 524 thing being another dividing point, do you want to commit your life to staying under 524 so you can get enough credit cards so you can yeah. requalify for another companion pass and just get more uh, and more and more uh, into the program? I mean, we, when yeah. I first got into this game, it was, you know, this this companion pass, this is the hottest deal going. This thing is not going to last. Get the credit card yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's a decade ago. And it's still still seems to be around. What's going on with that? So people don't fly as much as they as they think they do. But yeah, it, it does seem to be a, probably the most effective marketing campaign of all these things we talked about, the Southwest Companion Pass. Uh, they've got two really successful campaigns. One is the companion pass. And the second is that they call themselves a low-cost carrier. Robert, I mean, yeah. how many years have we called them out on that? They're low fee. They're a low fee carrier. And so if you are the person that doesn't want to pay to pick a seed or, or pay for luggage, and that represents a value to you, great. But let's call it out. There are many times where even with a companion pass, they are more expensive at 50% off than some of these other airlines. Wow. And I think that the companion pass represents a way for them to really capture you as a customer. If you're hyper-focused on them and you put all your energy and earnings into them, then you're invested in them at a way that maybe you're not thinking as rationally uh, about your travel. Yeah. All right, bottom line, Southwest, uh, wh wh where do they fit in the, into the puzzle for you? I really don't think that they are always the answer, but sometimes they're the best answer. Yeah, for me, that's an interesting one. Uh, the only time I fly Southwest is when they're the only carrier that flies direct yeah. and there's no other option. But I would say if you live in a town <laughs> where your hometown airport is dominated by Southwest, you can't ignore them. But if that's not the case, then I think you might rarely fly them. So really uh, kind of a Boolean, a one or zero there on Southwest for the most part. And it seems like a, like they do a lot of things their own ways. That, that you search for their fares on an online travel agency, and they probably don't come up. I mean, they're kind of like Costco in a sense, too. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a separate thing. It's not, yeah. we're not, we're not normal. <laughs> Good call out. All right, let's move on to number four here, Robert. We're going to talk about United. Absolutely. What to make of United? Uh, not a big carrier in Boston, not a small carrier. Not, you know, it's not dominated. I think both of our airports are not really dominated by anyone. Is that the case, would you say, in LA too? There's not one dominant carrier? Yeah, no, I would say that that's true. You know, there are many carriers that have a good presence here. Similar over there? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely, right? You can, it's nice, right? You, you can, it is, yeah. If you, if you want to get a momentum with a couple different programs, you can, but you, you can ignore some if you want to. Uh, I, what to make of their award chart. Let's start there. Uh, so you have some United miles and you want to fly on United Metal. How does that typically work for you in your searches? I don't see a lot of magic there. I mean, if you if United flights are expensive, it's going to cost a lot of miles. And I, I, I think of United really as something I'm saving for a flight 
internationally Lufthansa or someone on, on a Starlands carrier. Yeah, I mean, if Boston can fly on Lufthansa, I can fly on on Swiss. Award availability tends to be good there, and so that's what I've used my United miles for. And I think that's a really uh, tangible point to pause on, and that's the thing I consult on a lot. Hey, we're going to fly domestically. I know it's expensive with United miles. Should I use my United miles, or should I use my bank points, or should I use cash? And I say, yeah, you should probably save those United miles for that trip you want to take to Europe this summer. Because I see award availability there. It's going to cost a ton to fly you and your family there in business class. So I'd probably save you United miles for that because there's a lot of a lot more bang for the buck for that. But if I was looking to fly domestically on United, I just don't see the value in using their miles. What do you think? I'm struggling as well. They've relatively pegged their mile to some internal metric of dollar value. And what I'm seeing is flights that are super expensive. You know, and yeah. no, no. <laughs> just, like, just expensive, right? Yeah, <laughs> like no other way to call it out. There used to be this idea that they would, you know, try to be competitive on routes. All of the airlines would try to be competitive on routes. I'm not seeing that. I'm yeah. seeing I'm seeing $822 when, uh, you know, Hawaiian Airlines is $350 and AA <laughs> is $520. There's no pressure. And I don't know if that's, you know, captive. You know, they have, they have people that are captive and they know that they're going to fill that plane at $822. But, you know... There's no way that 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 represents a better value than a bank point booking at one and a half cents into that Hawaiian flight for me. It just doesn't make sense because I'm going to be looking at 48, 52, something like that, 48 or 52,000 United miles to buy that $800 flight. And I'm I'm just not going to do it. I'm not earning United miles. So that would be an ultimate reward transfer. And then it literally becomes a math problem. Which is better? Which is less miles? And it's way less miles to book it through the travel portal at 1.5 cents. And I think that they're in a unique position because they also have this really friendly travel bank. Should we talk about that? Yeah, I do think that it's a differentiated characteristic. It's pretty good. The expiration terms aren't as good as Southwest, but aren't as bad as an airline we'll talk about later. But that plays into it too, right? You've got the travel bank, you've got the bank point, and you've got the airline mile. So you have these three instruments fighting each other. And, you know, you're it's like like a system of equations here. You're trying to solve for which is the least expensive way to do this. And inevitably, it ends up almost never for me being the the, the miles, the United miles. Right. No, absolutely. Right. Right. Especially with a travel bank, which can't be used for anything other than flying on that airline. And it's going to eventually expire. You got to use that first. That's right. I need to use it first. I do think there are opportunities where prices make sense. And I'm picking on the fringes where I say they're more expensive than other airlines. But it's been my experience this year trying to get on their flights. And I'm failing up with Travel Bank with them. It just keeps getting bigger for some reason. And I do want to call out their cancellation policy because I do think they 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 would say that they have one of the best cancellation policies in the industry, Robert. You know, you go on their website and you see these four columns, basic economy, non-refundable. Then you see economy, then you see economy, fully refundable, and then you see first class. And fully refundable. Fully refundable is fully refundable, Robert. I'm here to say. <laughs> Makes you wonder what non-fully refundable is. Yeah. So, so yeah, let's talk about that, right? So their regular economy is, is cancelable, right? So they, they're using that cancel, no change fees, no cancellation fees uh, type of marketing speak that a lot of airlines are using for their standard economy fare. And what that means is you end up with like an expiring instrument, 12 months expiration on that instrument. I don't like that. Because then you've got to get onto a United flight. And part of the cynic in me thinks that their flight prices are so high right now because they're just waiting people out. And then they're going to get all that money off the board and say, well, oh, sorry, those expired. That's ours now. 
But the fully refundable is usually a reasonable amount more, $50, $75, $100 more, to actually be able to press a button and cancel the whole thing back to the way you booked it. But they're so bad at issuing refunds. And it's just maybe it's just me, but I've seen reports on Twitter as well of people that have had the same problems. In some cases, it's taken me over a month to track down the refund from them. And they've refunded me like more than they should have. I mean, it's just not working. And so, yes, they have this refundable bucket. I want to give them credit for like really clearly marking that as fully refundable and making it obvious that you're getting a fully refundable fare because I don't think other carriers, American and Delta, are doing as good a job with that. But the process that they have to actually refund people is so broken that, again, we're talking about helping family and friends. If you booked something with United and you think it's refundable, you need good records and you need to follow up over and over. That's what I would say. That sounds miserable. Yeah, it is. But it's yeah, it is weird when you just click the button, it's supposed to work. I mean, problems like that with Delta as well. It's true. Uh, you click the button. Yeah, If you call, they'll, they'll refund the miles instantly. But if you click the button, then maybe not until you call. They don't even cancel sometimes with Delta. <laughs> Delta's point. like had that. broken on a different way, right? You're like, wait a minute. I'm supposed to check in for the flight. I canceled that <laughs> exactly. a week. Exactly. That is alarming. Uh, let's, let's talk United and their uh, relationship with Chase. Very big, very tied in there. Uh, one-to-one transfer. Partner, which I guess that makes Chase a little bit industry leading, right? They have one-to-one transfer partner with United and with Southwest. So think about it. If you live in Chicago and you live halfway between Midway and O'Hare, yeah. I mean, you have really got to be tied into the Chase ecosystem, but that's a double-edged sword, right? Because the 524 is going to block you out of getting more United cards. You can't get into a United club with a Chase Sapphire Reserve. That's a differentiated thing versus Delta. But let's net it out. What do we, where do we see United in our travel patterns going forward? You know, necessary evil for me with this travel bank of mine here. I've got to get it off the books. And due to some of these things being canceled, I've got expiring ticketless travel. And, uh, you know, it's just this patchwork for me. So I think at the end of all of that are United Miles. And I do want to call out the co-branded paradox. We didn't call it out for Southwest, but it exists for Southwest and it exists for United. The best way to earn a United Mile or a Southwest Mile, if you need them, is not on a United or Southwest credit card. And that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, no, you see that a lot. Yeah, not, not just the airline industry, but in pretty much everything with the credit yeah. card. I do like earning ultimate rewards. I do think there's value in holding them as ultimate, ultimate rewards. I do think there might be a day where it makes sense. You know, I've seen some situations where, for whatever reason, United has these really deeply discounted fares with their miles. And so having a bucket of those ultimate rewards to transfer just in case makes sense. But I think that it's at the end of the line. You know, there's travel bank. Actually, there's expiring tickets, then travel bank, then booking straight through a portal at 1.5 cents, and then transfer United in. And we haven't even talked about partner award availability with them. No, I mean, maybe that's the bottom line for me is that I'm thinking about it's a, the Star Alliance tie-in is what keeps me interested in having any miles in the United ecosystem. But I haven't burned them for that in a long time. And if there's going to be a space for United miles to book Lufthansa or Swiss, I could do it with Aeroplan. And that's a membership reward transfer partner. Yeah. And I use a lot of my ultimate rewards for Hyatt. So mm. yeah, I haven't transferred a lot over to United lately. And I don't know when I would unless I needed to top off the 400,000 or so of them that I have. So yeah, I guess until I go back to Europe and see that partner space, I'm not going to use them. I, I will fly them. I got to get rid of these instruments. But a unique situation, I would say, compared to the other three carriers we just talked about. All right, so we've covered the three legacy carriers, American, Delta, and United, and Southwest. Those are the four biggest. I bet some people might not know what the next one is. I'd probably guess wrong if I had to guess what the next biggest airline in the country is. I would have guessed wrong as well, Robert, but it's Alaska Airlines. (sighs) 
Alaska Airlines. I, I don't. I don't. Should I be the one setting the table on this one? I. I, I guess I should. You know. I, I think we're equally uh, kind of lukewarm on them. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So let's talk domestic travel with their miles. Definitely a West Coast airline. You know. Uh, the name Alaska Airlines. But uh, so I, I have opportunities here in LA to fly them. And Robert, I can't remember the last time I got on an Alaska flight. I've flown up and down to Seattle numerous times, not with them. Uh, and I think that they don't have a, a tremendous value domestically for their miles and points. We did a whole segment on it on the Patreon feed a few shows back. But, you know, they've devalued some of their partner awards. And there was a lot of anger about that. But what they've done at the same time that they've devalued some of their awards and kept their domestic awards at not a great value is they have trended their sign-up bonuses way up on their cards. We, we have this historical knowledge. And you know many people listening to the show probably do remember when 25000 or 30000 was a great sign-up bonus for Alaska Miles because of this outsized partner availability. But the, the sign-up bonus is like triple that now. You have situations where you can get a really large amount of Alaska miles on a sign-up bonus on a credit card. And so I think that the value's still there internationally. And I do think, you know, that there are some people who will say, you know, I want to fly domestically. I want to use their stopovers and I get value out of that. But that's not me. What about you, Robert? Have you gotten on a flight recently with Alaska or are you collecting their miles for another reason? I, I think I have a, a grudge against them and it goes back to the Virgin America acquisition. I don't like the way they played that. It doesn't make sense to me that I don't think Alaska is any better off for having acquired Virgin America, and I'm worse off for them having acquired them. It used to be really nice to fly yeah. Boston to LA uh, or San Francisco on Virgin America, differentiated product, new idea, really nice first class seats. And I don't know what they did with those airplanes. They threatened that they were going to make Alaska's first class nicer. They haven't. And it's just a really mediocre product for me when I fly it. They have a unique flight from Boston to San Diego happens to be quite expensive. And I want to go to use Alaska Miles to book it. It's never a good value. So they got rid of something that I used to like with them and they haven't replaced it with anything. And meanwhile, I'm saving all these Alaska Miles for the gem redemption of flying on Japan Airlines to you know business class or first. And they really jacked up the price on those as I was waiting and accruing those and saving them for this great thing that would occur. Uh, you know, Emirates first class used to be a great way to do. It. You can't do it anymore. Yeah. They they put a lot of effort into those partnerships and have these unique award charts with all these things. But it's like, you know, SPG points back in the day, star points, whatever they were called, or maybe Hyatt points where they have a really favorable award chart. I think they had a very favorable award chart. And I think it's over. I think the normalization has occurred. Alaska miles aren't as valuable as they used to be. And flying them domestically, they're either expensive, don't have a lot of flights to the places I want to go to, or they don't have a lot of miles of value in their miles for use domestically. So kind of a quirky thing and not not a one-to-one -one bank transfer partner with anything. Oh, that's a great right? point. Yeah, I didn't even think so of that. They're tied in with Bank of America. They've got the two... Two credit cards, just two, right? They need to have at least six to keep up with Delta. <laughs> and it's a personal card and a business card. And once you've gotten that, you can't do much more. The business card is churnable, but you know how, how far do you want to go with that? So it leaves a situation where, uh, I guess they got their world famous companion oh, certificate. Oh, yeah, world famous. <laughs> I talk to people all over the world about that certificate. And they know all about it everywhere. Yeah. First thing they ask you about when they hear you're from America. Yeah, do you, America, have you heard of the world famous Alaska Companion Fair? And I go, yes, I have. Have you ever used it? And I go, no, I haven't. How many of those have expired in your in your like lifetime, Robert, and without, without being used? And so many, and it, because to get the most value out of it, you need to wait for an expensive flight, but you Generally, try to avoid expensive flights, yeah, right? That's so. great. Yeah, great call out there. 
yeah. if you're only getting half off travel, you'd probably do better off with maybe ginning up bank points and then using those at, with 1.5 cents a piece of value, I think, uh, rather than than trying to use a companion certificate. But I guess it just goes back to what credit card welcome bonuses you can get and, and such. But I don't know. What's the what's the bottom line up for Alaska for you? I think it's a different situation if you live in a city that's like heavily served only by Alaska or mainly by Alaska. I think that's the use case here. And I do think there are people that have routes that they like that Alaska serves and they continue taking those routes. And I think that that makes sense as well. But for me, it's, I have, I think, a worse relationship with them than you do, which is like, I've, I've invested like money into travel wallets with them, never used them, kept them going for like seven years or nine years. I don't remember how many years it's been now on the assumption that I would fly them because I live in LA. They're somewhat of a West Coast airline. They fly to Mexico, have a pretty good presence getting down there. But, you know, so does Delta and so does AA and so does United and so does Southwest. And so the competition is heavy and they don't keep up with the competition. They just don't. And so I've just been stuck with their miles. Fortunately, I think I'll finally use some of them to go to Japan this summer. I, I got to get out. <laughs> That's it, right? I got to get out. And so I'm going to end it with a puzzler for you, Robert. Same question you asked me on a show a few few weeks back. How would you trade Alaska for AA miles? Where do you see the uh, the bid-ask spread on that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I do prefer American miles. And that might be surprising. People thought of Alaska as being so valuable for so long. But I think American are just more, I see more upside for them domestically. And uh, now the award chart to Japan, uh, to Asia is more favorable with American. So I think an American mile is worth more than an Alaska one. Something like uh, 1.2 or something like that. Uh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. How about I think, you? I think I said 1.5 and I, I would stick with that. I mean, to, to get wow. me to take an Alaska mile. I would. I, it's pure speculation on my point that I would see any value out of it in the future. All that said, I think I will continue to uh, uh, you know sign up for Bank of America Alaska credit cards as as I can and have that stockpile there because hey, it is a pretty good way to redeem with low taxes and fees to get to Asia. So hey, there still is some value there. I don't want to completely dunk on it, but that takes a lot of time to accrue those miles without actually flying them. It's an uh, airline you could largely ignore in terms of actually flying the metal for a lot of us and uh, just accrue them for those partner awards. And as diminished as they are, like you said, the ability to get them through credit card signups has gotten much easier uh, while the, the award chart is sliding out from you on the other end. You know, like a lot of these airlines, one small change could really make a difference. You know, if, if Bank of America, for example, said, hey, our uh, premium uh, our rewards credit cards or our elite MasterCard, those points are now transferable to Alaska. Would that like completely reinvigorate you in the program? Yeah, it's interesting. I think they would need to do a Chase Ultimate Rewards kind of clone situation where the cash rewards card would earn 5.25 and those would then be transferable if you had that elite card. They could really build up some synergy there. And I don't know why they don't do that. They're a big enough bank that they should throw that, you know, weight around and make those things happen because they've got their relationships with the airlines. They've got the stable of credit cards. I don't know why they insist on keeping them in separate silos because there's just no no synergy. That just becomes a very cash-like program. Yeah. And then, you know, there's these like competing ecosystems, right? You've got Chase with their ultimate rewards. You've got membership rewards with Amex. You've got Bank of America trying to make a play, but not really. If if they were as serious as the airlines were about keeping customers, I think they could make a play. You know, they could say, hey, you know, we're going to put, put in with Alaska here and try and go transferable and really get you know, those Alaska flyers in with our premium cards instead of just this one card. I would say uh, Bank of America, even more than Barclays, is 
probably and even maybe even more than Capital One. Um, better positioned for that with the partnerships they actually have already. I mean, you can transfer Capital One mile to a, a bunch of airlines, mostly quirky uh, international <laughs> carriers. But I think Bank of America actually has co-branded credit cards with a number of airlines and they could do something there. But for some reason, they haven't. It's too much work. It's too much work. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to work. Nobody. No. <laughs> Let's keep moving, Robert. Number six here. I'm surprised. I'm going to, I think I'm going to be surprised by your take on this, but I want you to set the table on your opinion of JetBlue here because you do live in Boston. This is their hometown, right? Uh, I think JFK might be a little bit more the hometown that they would claim. Maybe their first thing, but uh, you got to always shout out the. David Neelman, uh, How I Built This That's Episode, original episode. founder, yeah. not there anymore. And things seem to have changed a little bit in terms of their focus, but uh, they're doing all kinds of things. They're going to fly to Europe. We're, gonna, we're flying to Europe, uh, but it's such a weird thing. Let's start off with the basic. Uh, you want to fly on JetBlue in Boston here. I mean, you want to fly to some specific airport somewhere. They're going to probably have a direct flight there. They have expanded here so much. And so if you live in near JFK or Boston, it's like you can't ignore JetBlue. And they have this mint product, which is really nice for flying across the country. That's something, if you live anywhere except for the, the, the coast, it really is much of an opportunity to take mint, but it's one of the best domestic flying experiences. And it's usually not priced out of reach for, for paying for it with bank points. But for some reason, their quirky frequent flyer program, they've never been able to figure it out. Right, they don't want to get into some of the problems that legacy carriers have had with their frequent flyer programs, but they've never been able to create a frequent flyer program that has nearly as much value as the airline does. I mean, don't they say that AA's frequent flyer program is worth more than the airline itself? Why doesn't yeah. JetBlue see that and try to actually come up with a compelling frequent flyer program? Because it, it just makes their, their, their program makes no sense. It's just there's no value in that. They don't get much value out of their points. They're hard to generate. You know, maybe that you can get a Barclays co-branded credit card, which is kind of a weird bank to for them to exclusively partnership have a partnership with. They used to be a American Express used to be the issue of the co-branded credit card, but now you can transfer points from American Express to JetBlue. <laughs> but it's a it's the quirky ratio of two fifty to two hundred makes you think. Well, how much value am I going to get on this end? And at the end of it, you're just like, forget it. I'll just book it with membership rewards or through the through the Amex travel portal as, as miserable as that is, or I'll just put, pay for cash or with travel bank. But maybe it's time for the call out. They intentionally changed their travel bank to be the most expiring currency on the planet. Yeah. It's like totally tone deaf and in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. I know that we can't like understate that, Robert. You know, they used to have a 12 month policy that after you canceled, you had 12 months and now it's 12 months from the day you book it. And so, I mean, there can be situations where something happens and, you know, you booked a flight six months in the future and you can't take it for whatever reason and you cancel and you only have six months to use that flight. Well, I wanted to go in the summer. Now I got to go in the winter. Like what? Like <laughs> it, it's so weird that they would not give you a year to use that ticket because the assumption would be we're well, going to take the same flight again in the future. Most people don't have just like a long list of places that JetBlue flies that they want to go. So I, I think that it's a cash grab. I think they want to take those funds. And I don't like that. I don't appreciate that. Like, look, we've got the other five airlines here. I can make a play in my mind for who the typical flyer that they're make, you know, that these airlines want to keep with them is. You know, American Airlines, they want to reward you for your loyalty with upgrades and uh, their miles are kind of valuable. And Southwest, you know, there's business flexibility. You can cancel those flights anytime and you keep in their ecosystem. There's no extra fees to worry about. And if you have people that are flying for work, it's really easy to just book that flight and be done with it. JetBlue, I don't know what they're doing. 
I really don't. You know, they're not rewarding you with points that are valuable. They have this really nice product mint out of reach for their most frequent flyers most of the time because it doesn't represent a good value on the points that you'd earn if you were doing like travel nonstop with them. And so it's a super weird airline. And I think they are lacking the focus of any of the other airlines. Even Alaska has more focus. And they're focused on Mexico, the West Coast, uh, you know, uh, Hawaii, and uh, flying across the country. Like, okay, I get it. I understand Alaska, right? Like, but I don't understand JetBlue at all. Would have made so much more sense for JetBlue and Virgin America to merge. You have a East Coast presence and a West Coast presence, and that would actually make sense. That I, I don't, don't mean to harp on that the acquisition anymore, but that is <laughs> just what should have happened there. Because you look at the partners with JetBlue, and they're quirky. I mean, you talk about Alaska. They put a lot of energy into establishing those partnerships because they weren't part of an alliance. But now they're part of One World. Did all that work. <laughs> so here's JetBlue. They have all these alliances, but they're, they're I mean, if you look at the website, it's just so fledgling. It's crazy. It's, it's so half-hearted. You try calling a, a JetBlue call center and ask them to help book a partner award. You'd be you'd be like the only person who ever called about that thing, and they'd have to go on a, a safari to figure out what, on the expedition to figure what what the heck you're talking about is. It's a really half-hearted attempt that they have with partners. There there was a nice opportunity to book Mint with Emirates Miles that went away. They're bringing Etihad in, but you can't book with that yet. And then they got this Northeast Alliance with AA, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. you know the, the government is trying to stop it, but uh, it's it's unclear why it exists even. Uh, you can have flights between, say, Boston <laughs> and DC, and there's still AA flights and there's JetBlue flights, but there's more JetBlue flights. And you know, I was on going to get on an American flight a couple of months ago, and it looked like the flight was going to be delayed. And I went up and asked if I could get on a JetBlue flight, and they said, "Oh yeah, sure, we can do that." It's like, well, I guess this alliance is real, but maybe there's some opportunities there to book with one and take the the other if you really want to get on mint but then just along with this american has gotten much better in the planes that they fly across the country yeah. to be on par and to have parity with JetBlue. it's like uh maybe similar to alaska it's just like when are these airlines going to be part of the same alliance and be part of the same thing i hear the government's like fighting uh this being part of the alliance i don't know who it's who it's uh causing harm to but it just seems to be a really really weird airline in a very weird place i think right right for acquisition of, of some sort but i'm not sure who that would come from oh they wanted to buy spirit I mean, that's... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So... I think I think Spirit is the number seven airline that we're not <laughs> going to talk about here. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, Robert, and I don't want the whole show to be about JetBlue, but, you know, they have this opportunity with their partnerships. They could represent some kind of value with their miles. They could, they could like, reset the, the entire deck here and say, you know what? We're going to actually do what no one else is doing. We're going to have some kind of a floating values for your points. And why don't you book and, you know, fly with us and we'll, we'll reward you. But they're not doing that. And in the cases that they are doing that, like Hawaiian, I, I've, I've tried hard to use my JetBlue points for Hawaiian flights. I've called the call center. I've waited on hold. And, you know, they, they do have flights on certain days. But they track into these three fare buckets, T, Z, or L. And that's not published anywhere, first of all, that you need those three different types of fares to be available. And so you're waiting on hold for someone to do that search that you could have done on Expert Flyer if you knew that. But those flights inevitably are terrible values for using those points. And that is just the like the story of uh, the, the main takeaway on this is it has to make sense. It has to make financial sense. Uh, it has to make sense with the instruments that you have to book. And I think that that's the like major thing to take away from this episode is we got to be rational, right? Like, so let's, let's put on our Morgan Housel hat. The game that I play and the game that you play and the game that everyone else plays are different games because of the things you said at the top of the show, Robert. We have different places we want to go. We live in different cities. We're served by different airlines. We have different credit cards or bank relationships. Putting all of that together is the beautiful game. 
And if that drives you crazy, maybe you're better off with no cars and just paying cash for everything. But you're probably better off with a single car that just earns pretty good rewards for travel and just take the flights that you want to take when you want to take them. But if you really want to put this game together and run six different you know, airlines, uh, then this is the situation that we're in right now. We have to go through, you know, we have to look at these airlines rationally, and that's what we're doing today. That's a great summary, and I have uh, a few puzzlers to discuss here to wrap it up. But I, I, one thing that you just said there really, really sparked a thought in my mind, and maybe we jumped over and it's too, just too obvious. Like, why is it that airlines don't reward people for actually flying on their airplanes much anymore? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've gotten to the point where that they're so credit card focused so, that yeah. <laughs> they will reward that 10 times more. Like you're saying, they, uh, JetBlue could re-architect their, their thing to really, really encourage people to fly. Because how many, how many flights would you have to take to get a free flight? It's ridiculous. I mean, it's a lot of what we talk about on the paid show. You know, what's the point in actually, you know, the worst way to earn airline miles is by actually flying on the airplanes. It's it's almost to the point of absurdity. Like, why do they even reward you for actually flying on the planes? That's the last thing they want you to do. They want you to go through crazy shopping portals, sign up for credit cards and do other bonkers things rather than actually flying on the airplanes. Uh, amazing how far we've gotten away from that. So true. You know, a long time ago, we, we called it out on the blog that, you know, you can earn these miles with a credit card so quickly and easily versus sitting in an airplane seat so the time aspect of doing that doesn't make any sense. The money is just too good. It's got to be too good for them to pass up, Robert. Every single airline is in bed with at least one bank, multiple banks. They've, they're pushing the spend on the cards. I mean, you got you know, Delta status based on spending on an American Express card that would have been extremely expensive and time-consuming to do on Delta flights. There has to be more in it for them than there is to run these planes. And we, we make this joke all the time, like, we should just start an airline that doesn't fly anywhere, but it's really just all about earning points and miles. And I think we'd be a, we'd be more successful than many airlines that have come and gone in the past uh, and not been able to make money as an airline. But, you know, you can make money as a bank. Establish a lounge network, too, and you just have the, the complete solution. <laughs> Mile Networks Lounge Network, yeah. <laughs> Credit card, lounges, use our points to fly an airline. No, just amazing. And think about what with business travel being what it is, how diminished it is. It used to be the, the purpose of this whole scheme was you can probably sway your business travel around such that yeah. you'll choose our airline more often. And then when you go on vacation once or twice a year, you'll give you a free trip by earning our miles. My, how far we have come in the airline industry. <laughs> that, that idea was beautiful when it came out 40 years ago or 35 years ago. <laughs> I'm sure there's business classes that study this kind of thing, but, you know, it's just that it's gotten insane. It's gotten so, you know, so far out from that original idea are the airlines banks? Are the banks airlines? So my big question now, Robert, is are airline miles even valuable at all anymore? Or are, are they dead? They're on, I would say on death watch. All it would take for airline miles to be dead to me is really them getting rid of favorable redemptions for international expensive flights, premium cabins, probably. Right? Because if American gets rid of that, then I don't see the point in earning those over a bank point because yeah. everything becomes tied to cash. At that point, you're going to be. It's going to be easier to earn frequent flyer miles through bank points. So that's the really where 90% of the value proposition lives. I think 10% still lies in that rogue situation where you can get a cheap flight domestically. And yeah, I would still you know sign up for a co-branded credit card for a welcome bonus just because I could because it's valuable. I do that with adults all the time. I sign up for those credit cards. But that is where so much of the value lies right now on airline miles over bank points. I think bank points it, things have tipped the scale. Let me, let me ask you this: Have airlines gone too far? 
and diminishing their outsized value to the point where bank points are a better play. Wow. We should circle back on these for like full shows. But um, to answer that, I think I need to talk about the earning side and, you know, the idea that a very simplified version of how this works. Airlines sell miles to credit card companies. Credit card companies pay the airline for those miles and then reward spending with those miles. The other side of that is bank points. Bank points just create out of thin air, Robert, right? Like I'm going to create a point, the Milenomics point. And uh, every dollar you spend on this credit card, it's going to be tied to that point. I don't have to pay anything for that until you redeem that point. And so I, hey, if I know you're never going to redeem them or you're going to redeem them for terrible things like golf clubs or statement credits at 0.6 cents, I can give you a ton of those. I can give you six of them per dollar, eight of them per dollar, nine of them per dollar, because I can balance the ecosystem myself. It's very difficult to credit spending at a level that's comparable to bank points with airline miles because there's a fixed cost to buy those miles and you don't have control over the redemption side the same way a bank point. You control the entire ecosystem as the bank. And I think that they've they've created the airline that I'm talking about. You know, that a bank that wants to create an airline doesn't create an airline anymore. They create a bank point. They tie it to all of these different things. They manage dynamically the redemption so that there's not really any outsized value, but the values on the earning side. And I, I think that's where we're playing the game at really high levels right now with great rewards for us, but it's flipped everything on its head. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Great overall analysis there. Maybe to close it out, let, let me ask you this. We, we talked about everything here and try to keep it as general as possible, sprinkling in our current preferences based on where we live and, and such. Maybe net it out for, for family and friends and how you approach you know, giving this advice for a, a typical member of your family yeah. that you really truly care about, that you are so interested in coming up with an optimal solution for them in, in terms of how to navigate this. They want to fly around. They have things they want to do. They know airfare is expensive. They don't want to spend too much on it. What 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 is your? How do you approach that whole thing? And what's your takeaway based on the current state of the game? I mean, if you looked at this ten years ago, I think it'd be different. I know we said it, it needs to be a case by case basis. If you're giving blanket recommendations without con actual consultation, you're doing somebody a disservice. But how do you? What do? You, how do you net out the state of the game right now to to give an elevator pitch to a to to an acquaintance at a party that you actually really do care about that want to give you the best advice possible in the least amount of time? Oh, man, I, I need you to answer the same question because Robert, I'm not the you know the only authority on that at all. I would jump it to something that they can relate to because this is really hard to relate to until you've done you know, the hundred hours, thousand hours of research and really gotten your head around how it works. So I would say, hey, are you a golfer? You like golf, right? Great. There are giant advertising companies trying to get all of your golf dollars behind new equipment and, uh, you know, new balls and all of this stuff that you see pros using and you, you read about and you hear about. And that's not necessarily for you. How much do you golf? You know, and so for travel, how often do you travel? And if it's not that frequent, you know, just go and have fun, enjoy yourself. Don't overthink it. The same thing, get a card that, that gives you pretty decent redemption and, and travel when you want to travel. And maybe you pay cash for travel even. And uh, the, the game itself is too complicated for you. So you just, you know, you just nibble on the fringes here when a nice card comes up. Maybe you get that, keep it, close it. Don't try to play the game professionally, I guess I would say. What would you say? Yeah, I've thought about that too, right? Like if I go to buy a bicycle, I do that kind of once every five to 10 years and I don't need to optimize. I don't need to get a, a credit card that is co-branded with a bike shop near me or something like that. <laughs> Just pay cash and move on with your life. But 
I think that travel is a big enough component in most people's lives that it does make sense to play this game to some extent. But I think finding what that extent is, is the trick. Uh, if I say to someone, you know, um, you know, it's, it's not too hard to get you in a situation where you never have to pay cash for a flight domestically again. That's a pretty compelling value proposition. And I don't think it's too hard to get into that situation. And I think the key is focusing on what you do and what you don't do. Uh, you know, we talked about six airlines here. You could probably ignore four of those, no matter where you live. Sure. And do and do just fine. And even if you aren't paying attention to that airline, if you kind of just focus on, I think, Chase and Amex, you probably could come up with a pretty good solution where for, say, one person signing up for credit cards and such, meeting, using their organic spend towards min spend, it's not that hard, not that complicated. And I think you can get to a situation where you don't have to pay for domestic travel anymore, and maybe you can even take some international trips. So that's my advice. I think it is worth looking at for most people. But if you aren't into the details of all this stuff, I think maybe one one, one quick tangible point is, you know, you, we talked about the Chase Hi-Fi Reserve. We talked about the Amex Business Platinum. And these cards have high annual fees, you know, $695, $550. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that, that's a non-starter for some people. You know, some people, you know, yes, you can eradicate uh, that annual fee with incidental benefits and such and such. But even doing that is a bit much for people to take on. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about uh, finding the right level of complexity and the reward that is worth it to somebody to pay attention to. And that, that's the way I, I think generally approach it. I'm, I'm glad you went there. But, uh, you know, to keep that golf analogy going, I think, you know, you need to recognize that this is a game that if you're going to play it effectively, it takes practice constant practice and you need to be at least aware that those annual fees are coming and that they eradicate almost any value of the spend you might put on that card and uh you know you you think it's not that big of a deal but the annual fee is one of the biggest money makers for these banks and you know they're able to give you large amounts of points on your spend because they get it back at the end of the year on the annual fee because most people just go, well, the card's great for travel, keep it in my wallet, put everything on it, pay the annual fee every year forever. I'm cautious, Robert, of saying, you know, you want to get all your travel without paying for it because you, you pay for it one way or another. I think it's deeply discounted maybe, um, but you have to actively manage your your card portfolio or else you run in the risk of, of actually paying more for travel. No. Absolutely true and possible. Overspending uh, that organic spend, uh, forgetting about an annual fee, F yeah. feeling bad for the bank and not canceling it after the first year. Any number of things you can. Yeah, you go. It's free, so you know what? We normally like cap ourselves at four hundred dollars a night. Let's go six hundred dollars a night because you know what? It's free, right? And so I, I think yeah, there are so many areas and places that this could be a, a like a trap. If I'm talking to friends and family. I I stop talking because it's it's hard. You know, it's hard to hear them and and not jump in on some kind of dicey conversations. You know, it's, it's a personal finance, it's uh, travel, it's uh, where you want to go, when you want to go, how you like to travel, uh, what your financial aspects of, in life are. I do feel seen on the on the golf analogy and how how miserable it is to work so hard at the driving range and see minimal results results on the course. So <laughs> I, I can definitely relate to that analogy. It's no fun to play golf once a year and stink it up. So yeah, you're kind of all in on this game or or, or not in some cases. I think. Yeah, and and even when you're all in, there are losses that come. Yeah. Wow. What a what a sad way to end the show, Robert. <laughs> but is that you know is that the state of of the game right now? I mean, if if we hadn't gotten into this game when we wanted to get it, when we did get into it. Would you would you have jumped in right now? Is there enough juice for the squeeze right now to get in and jump in big time? 
Oh, absolutely. We talk about it every week on that paid show. Yeah. Uh, Amex welcome bonuses in the neighborhood of 150,000 plus. I mean, it's just absolutely insane how the you know, currency, yes, has has devalued. There's been inflation, but the 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 welcome bonuses are just bonkers right now compared to what they were. It's 10 an years arms ago. race. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. And- when you decouple it from travel, I think that's where we've seen our most success, right? You know, that you 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 can only travel so much in a year. And if that's your metric, that that business travel, I just want to earn enough to be able to take my family to Disney World once a year. Great. Once you do that, you stop. And one of those like yeah. long running things we say all the time is empty bucket fills itself faster. So if you can't empty your buckets with travel, empty them some other way and then refill them over and over and over. And that's pretty much my best advice, I think. I like it. Great place to close it out. Yeah, go for it, Robert. Thanks for joining us this week. For a more in-depth discussion about points and miles, visit us at patreon.com slash milenomics. There you get a special link to listen to additional content right in your mobile podcast app or on your computer where we speak more freely about topics like these. And as always, you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at milenomics and Robert's at Robert Dwyer. Love to hear from you. Until then, we'll see you on the site.